Hebrews 11 is where we are tonight. We're looking at the last part of the story of Moses, a faith that's not afraid. Hebrews 11, and we're going to pick it up in verse 27. Once you've got it, would you stand with us if you're able for the reading of these few verses? Hebrews 11, a faith that's not afraid, beginning in verse 27. By faith... Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, 1127, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood, so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea, as though they were passing through dry land. And the Egyptians, when they attempted it, we're drowned. And all God's people said, amen. You can have a seat. Father, thank you for your living word. And thank you for the, uh, re- the recounting of these great faith stories in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And they were really intended to encourage a church that was really feeling the pressure of the culture and even the religious pressure of um, going back to the temple and the sacrifices and all those things. And Lord, there, there are many things that we face in temptations in our time, and many times they are to go back to our old ways, whatever they may be. So I pray that tonight we would see the story of Moses, maybe with some fresh eyes tonight, and, and realize that each great uh, character in, in Scripture that was used in any way by God had their share of temptations and their uh, obstacles that they had to overcome by faith. That's really what we're studying, the great hall of faith. And so we would pray tonight that you would increase our faith. And whatever we are facing tonight, we'd find encouragement as we look afresh at the story of Moses and how it would apply to the readers of this original letter and then what it would say to us tonight. So we lay the time at your feet and we pray that you would bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we've learned some things about Moses that we marked in the first Uh, portion of the study of his life. If you go back to verse 24, it says, by faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Moses, notice in 25, chose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. He considered, 1126, the reproach of Christ, and it's interesting that Christ is mentioned in the life of Moses, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. If you look back at verse 23, the very first verse about Moses, it talks about Moses' parents. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. And then you uh, link that with Moses' own faith, he did not fear the wrath of the king. That's 27. So you could maybe just draw a little arrow from 23 to 27. Moses uh, followed his parents' lead, if you will, in not being afraid of the Pharaoh's edict. And fear can be something that possibly, and I'm no expert in this area, but we can inherit in some ways either the courage of those who speak into our lives and lead us, or sometimes we can inherit some fearful tendencies of those who shape our lives. And none of us are immune to the, um, 
the way that other people who are important in our lives respond to life. So maybe you grew up with a very steady you know, leader in your life or two or three, and maybe they taught you how to be steady. And some of us are pretty good at being steady on the outside and we might be churning on the inside. So, you know, it's not always easy to tell. But um, maybe you grew up in an atmosphere where everything was drama and everything was immediately, you know, an episode. And maybe for you, it's somewhere in between. But Moses's parents kind of set the bar, if you will, for not being fearful. They were brave for their son. And I would just say to those of you who are parents tonight or grandparents, Thinking about bravery is not just about you. How you respond to situations and challenges and difficulties will set the tone or set the bar for the generations to follow, and especially those that you have direct influence over. Now, none of us can predict about how we're going to respond to every situation, but I would just say this. If your eyes are on the Lord, you're going to respond better than if your eyes are on the circumstances. (laughs) Amen? And so Moses' parents, setting the bar, they were brave for their child. And we studied that last time, and we know what Mama did, and she put him in that little tender basket and put him on the Nile, and we know what God did. And when Moses grew up, and remember that Yoshebed had a chance to speak into Moses' life because she would have nursed him until he was three or four years old. And, uh, you know, if you're around little kids, uh, little kids, man, they can pick up a lot. Once they start talking, it's pretty much over. <laughs> but, but they pick up a lot of information. And a kid is largely shaped. What do the experts say? By the time they're about five years old, I think, uh, you know, kind of like a lot of their personality and, and so forth has already been shaped. So it's just interesting to think about Moses and, and the influence of his parents And then you can see in verse 24 that Moses refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He may have had the path directly to the throne of Egypt. He chose instead to endure, that's a key word tonight, to endure ill treatment with the people of God, not because he had a martyr's complex, but because he knew that the pleasures of Egypt were passing, indeed passing away, And he considered the reproach of Christ to be of more value, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. And here's the key, because Moses Moses had a long-term view of things. And whenever you have a short-term view of things, that's usually when you fall on your face, when you give in to temptation, because you're just thinking about the moment instead of the long-term effects. What is this going to do? Here's something that I learned a long time ago. I've communicated it before, but I'll say it again because some of you have not heard this before. Whenever you're standing at the beginning of Temptation Highway, you should look down the road to see where this might lead you. In other words, if you can stop yourself long enough to say, if I do this, if I step down this path, what is the end going to look like? What What will the ultimate result be if I go this way? And if you can't anticipate the end before you take a step, you're walking in wisdom. You're having more of a long-term view. And of course, uh, Moses indeed did have that. And had Moses um, elevated to the throne of Egypt, we know that he would have been swallowed up in God's judgment. So by faith, Moses left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. This is the beginning of our study tonight. 
for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. Now this is part two of a faith that's not afraid. And here is Moses now not fearing the wrath of the king. You may remember that when Moses killed the Egyptian, when he saw the Egyptian abusing one of the Hebrews, and he intervened and he killed the Egyptian and he buried the body. When the word got to the Pharaoh that Moses had killed an Egyptian, the Pharaoh put a contract on Moses' life and Moses was fearful and he fled to Midian. So many Bible commentators believe that what we just read in verse 27 is not the um, flight to Midian because in that case, Moses was afraid but rather when Moses took the people of Israel out of Egypt in the Exodus. So that's just something for you to maybe jot down, and I think you'll see how this flows in a moment. So most likely, verse 27 is dealing with the actual Exodus out of Egypt. And why would it say that Moses didn't fear the wrath of the king or the Pharaoh? Well, think of how many times the Pharaoh had to be upset when each of the plagues came down, right? Moses said, let my people go. The Pharaoh said, oh no, I won't let the people go. Moses said, you better let them go. Otherwise, here's what's going to happen, right? And of course, we know that with each plague, the Lord was kind of pounding on the Pharaoh and Egypt was reeling and it got worse and worse and worse and worse. But when Moses first went to the Pharaoh, Pharaoh bid the people to make bricks without straw and the people said to Moses, basically, you've made us odious in the sight of the Pharaoh. Now our work's going to be doubly hard. Some deliverer are you. Now I bring this out because you can see that it says Moses didn't fear the wrath of the Pharaoh or the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. What did Moses have to endure in the Exodus. Well, when God called Moses at the burning bush, Moses had some excuses, right? I'm not good at talking. I'm not sure I'm the guy. And, and he kept coming up with excuses and the Lord obviously overcame those. But I think Moses may have had an idea of what he was signing up for because the endurance that Moses had to show pretty much had to do when he was leading the people through the wilderness. Now, first of all, he didn't fear the wrath of the Pharaoh. Ultimately, the Pharaoh was dealt with, and the, we'll talk about the Red Sea in a moment. But then Moses had to shepherd more than a million people. And I will tell you, they were a stubborn bunch. In fact, there are there's at least one occasion I can remember where Moses says, the people are about to stone me with stones. They were very difficult. Moses often had to intercede for them. In fact, we've done recent studies where Moses says, if, if you won't forgive them, then blot me out of your book. And he becomes quite the mediator, doesn't he? But he had to endure a whole lot. Moses' faith produced endurance Exactly what the writer of Hebrews said they needed in 1036. If you look back for a moment, he says to them, it's endurance that you need. Take a peek at the verse. For you have need of endurance so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what was promised. Moses endured as seeing him who is unseen. And we've seen a definition of faith in this way. Look at 11.1 of Hebrews. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things 
not seen. And if you read verse 13, Hebrews 11, all these died in faith without receiving the promises, but having seen them and having welcomed them from a distance and having confessed that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. They saw them and welcomed them from a distance. In other words, they didn't have the fullness of the promises, but they took the long view of faith. And that's what Moses did as well. So when the Pharaoh was probably pounding his desk, you're not going to get away with this. I'm not going to let them go. I don't know who your God is, and I don't fear your God. And, and this was the, the number one ruler on the planet. Moses didn't fear. He trusted God. And he endured, and I think the endurance that Moses showed walks itself out to the actual exodus itself. He endured as seeing him who is unseen. Let me just say to you that just about everything that you face in this life as it relates to your walk with Jesus Christ can be solved if you fix your eyes on Jesus. Amen? You got problems with people? Fix your eyes on Jesus. You got fears that seem overwhelming? Fix your eyes on Jesus. This is why worship is so important because worship essentially causes you to do what? To fix your eyes on Jesus. Worship is an act by which you move your eyes away from everything else and you refocus on the author and perfecter of your faith. Amen? Amen. That's why the enemy loves to keep you from worship, to keep you from your Bible, because each time you grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, your faith is strengthened and you're not overwhelmed by all the things of the world. How did Moses remain so steadfast, immovable? Well, he was fixing his eyes on him who is unseen. And that's a challenge, isn't it? Because since God is unseen to us, we have to walk by faith. We haven't seen him, but we love him. Now, Moses had some incredible moments with God, right? He experienced the Shekinah of God. He got about as close as a man could get, at least in the Old Testament context. And yet, Moses still had to walk by faith and not by sight. And so it was a huge, uh, you could say, expedition of faith from the beginning to the end. And James, uh, if you turn over to James chapter 5, which is the next book to your right, James comments on this idea of endurance, which is really all over our Bible. And whether Moses was dealing with the fear of Egypt's wrath or the difficulty of shepherding over a million people, James 5, 9 through 11 reads this way. Do not complain, brethren, against one another, 5, 9 of James, that you yourselves may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing right at the door. As an example, brethren, of suffering and patience, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Think of Moses, but you can think of others. Behold, we count those blessed who endured. You have heard of the endurance of Job and have seen the outcome of the Lord's dealings, that the Lord is full of compassion and is merciful. Back to Hebrews. So the listener, the reader of Hebrews 11 might ask, how did Moses do it? <laughs> it's one thing to see a phrase, he uh, operated in faith as seeing him who is unseen. And that sounds good, doesn't it? And we, I could quote that to my friends. Moses you know, saw him who is unseen. 
what in the world does that mean? What does that mean to me in my life right now when everything I see in front of me is chaotic or confusing or whatever it may be? How do I have the eyes of faith? How do I do what Moses did? You might say, how did Moses do that? I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. If you look at Hebrews 12, 2, a message ahead of us, how do we run the race with endurance? End of verse 1, 12, 2 says, fixing our eyes on Jesus. That's how we do it. He's the author and perfecter of faith. This is how we keep running. In the Old Testament, Jehoshaphat was facing a, a huge uh, army that was coming at him. And uh, this is the prayer from 2 Chronicles 12 through 12 through 15. Just listen to it. I think it's familiar. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? He's talking about the armies coming after him. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us. Nor do we know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That's 2 Chronicles 20, verse 12. And all Judah was standing before the Lord with their infants, their wives, and their children. Then in the midst of the assembly, the spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, and he's related to a bunch of other guys. And he said, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours. The battle is what? It's God's. See, when Jehoshaphat was overwhelmed, he prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, and he, and he started quoting promises to God in 2 Chronicles 20. If you go back and read it later, you'll see what he says. Didn't you do this? Didn't you do that? Aren't you the God who did this and that? And he prayed to the Lord. And then the Lord anointed a, a prophet. The Holy Spirit came and spoke a word and God basically responded to the prayer and said, you're right, you've prayed to me. I'm going to deal with them. The battle's not yours. The battle is the Lord's. This is Psalm 34, 1 through 5. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul shall make its boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear it and rejoice. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. I sought the Lord and he answered me, delivered me from all my fears. They looked to him and were radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. Psalm 34, one through five. Whenever you see a person in the Bible, seek the Lord, look to the Lord, turn their eyes toward the Lord. All of these are acts of faith. And when we don't do that, they are acts of the flesh, right? I got this, I'll take care of it, or I'll look to this, 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 and this for my answers, and then maybe I'll pray, or then maybe I'll turn my eyes to the Lord. And that's not the right order. First we go to the Lord, right? And so Moses operated as seeing him who is unseen. Can I ask you, how are you doing with that? How are you doing when you deal with some fear or some difficult people around you? Well, when Moses was leading the people, and remember the story is uh, in the book of Exodus. Let's, let's uh, turn there. Here's one of the scenes that is going to be referenced in our text ahead of us. Exodus 14, 
And so Moses is leading the people and there's a whole lot of opinions and anonymous notes that get put in the box and all that good stuff. And Moses has led the people out and the Pharaoh finally has released them and he said, all right, you get out of here. You take your flocks, your herds, you take the people and go. The people were saying, get them out of here or none of us are gonna be alive and off they go. And you remember they went out triumphantly and the Egyptians were burying their first dead and it was a happy day. And then they went, and if you were with us uh, when we studied the book of Exodus, they went into this place near the Gulf of Aqaba. And it would appear from a possible route of where they crossed that they were trapped in. They entered into one spot. There was a mountain here. There was the Red Sea here and only one opening. And through that opening, here comes the chariots and horsemen and armies of Egypt. The Pharaoh changed his mind. Can you believe it? Yeah, you can go. Get out of here. That's it. We're good. You go. You serve your God. You go and worship. Have you ever had the Pharaoh change his mind on you? You know, the, if you sit at the, at, at the table and you make a deal with the devil, watch out. Watch out because there's always some fine print. And so out they went and the chariots and horsemen are coming and the Pharaoh, Exodus 14, 10, drew near. The sons of Israel looked, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they became very frightened, Exodus 14, 10. So the sons of Israel cried out to the Lord. Now, that's a good thing. And they said to Moses, is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us this way, bringing us out of Egypt? Weren't there enough cemeteries back there? Why did you do this? Why did you, whenever you're in leadership, this is, this is what can happen, right? You can get some credit, but you can also get the blame. Athletes know this very well. You can last minute drive and you win a game one week and the next week you throw an interception and all of a sudden you're the goat, right? They're not happy with you. The fans can be fickle. And so they accuse Moses. Look at what happens now. And Moses said to the people, do not fear. Now, this could be the wrath of the king uh, captured as Pharaoh was coming with the armies. And Moses said, do not fear. Have you ever said that to someone in the face of a challenge? Don't be afraid. On what basis could you ever say that to someone? Don't, don't fear. Don't, don't be afraid. It, it's good. Uh, and we can have our little phrases to try to make people feel better, like it's all good and <laughs> whatever we might say. But the Egyptian army is coming and we're trapped against the sea. What do we do now? It's all over. And here's what Moses said. Don't fear. Notice the beautiful promise. Stand by and see or stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today for the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. And the Lord said to Moses, why are you crying out to me? Tell the sons of Israel to go forward. Now, in verse 15, he tells them to go forward before the sea is parted. It's one thing if the Red Sea is already opened up. And if 
a voice said, or even a leader representing God said, now go forward. I would say, cool, here we go. But all there is is a Red Sea. It's one thing to be able to go forward in faith when the way is open. It's another thing when he hasn't done it yet. And I've joked before, as we get older, we kind of want to maybe go swimming, but the water has to be a certain temperature. How many of you are like that? Uh, it's got to be 85 and a half. I'm just going to stick my toe in, see if it's acceptable, right? And we're a little, we're a little wimpy. And Moses is told, stop crying out. Tell the people to stop crying out. I want you to go forward. And this may be kind of like uh, prepare for the miracle I'm about to do. Get ready. Some of you need to mark this. Go forward. Stop being stalled by fear. As you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand, 16, over the sea and divide it, and the sons of Israel shall go through the midst of the sea on dry land. As for me, behold, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and I will be honored through Pharaoh and all his army through his chariots and his horsemen. Now, you know what the Lord did. The angel of God divided the camps and the people experienced the light all night long and the Lord opened up the way. And part of the miracle was that Israel crossed over on dry land. It would have been extremely difficult to cross a soggy bottom of an ocean, right? But it was all dry land, and an east wind blew all night long. That's part of the miracle. And then they crossed over. But even crossing over is a challenge. Let's, uh, we'll flip back and forth between Exodus and Hebrews, but let's go back to Hebrews just for a second. So Moses' faith in verse 27 was, he saw him who is unseen. If you're taking notes, I'm going to give you three big points. Moses Number one, had the eyes of faith. Moses, based on verse 27, had the eyes of faith. And I tried to dig down a little bit to help us all know what that looks like. The eyes of faith are whenever I turn to the object of my faith, which is Christ or which is God. Amen? How do you get eyes of faith? How do you increase your faith? You've got to turn towards the object of your faith. And in essence, turn away from other things that deplete your faith. So number one, Moses had the eyes of faith. Look at verse 28. We're only doing three verses. By faith, Moses kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. Now, Moses' instruction in verse 28 you could call the promise of faith. Here's what he had. First, he had the eyes of faith. He didn't fear the wrath of the king. He told the people not to be afraid, led them out, led them through, as we'll see in a moment. But now he had a promise. And here's what the promise was. The 10th plague in Egypt, as I think you all know, was the plague of the death of the firstborn. And in order to uh, survive that judgment, the instruction to Moses was given in the sprinkling of the blood. We find out from Exodus 12, as we study the passage, that they were to take hyssop 
they were to dip it in the blood and they were to put the blood, the lamb's blood on the doorposts, as you recall, and the lentil, the, the top of the door. They sealed the door in blood and the sprinkling of the blood. And Moses basically had instruction from God that I'm gonna pass over Egypt on that night and when I see the blood, I will pass over you and my judgment won't come. Now, Bible students, everybody step back for a second and think of the audience receiving the letter. What's their struggle right now? They've had their eyes on persecution, difficulty, maybe other believers, professed believers who are falling away, and friends tempting them to go back to the law, go back to bondage, go back to the temple, come back under the law, come back under the sacrificial system. The temple's still standing We've already shared that in about five years it will be demolished. They don't know how short the window is that they have to endure, and neither do we. Sometimes we feel like our, I'm going to have to endure forever. And, and the writer of Hebrews is saying, would you look to your heroes? Would you see what Moses did? Step back. Don't go back to that temple. There's nothing there for you that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away your sin. Don't go back. Don't put yourself under that, that bondage again. It's, it was for freedom that Christ set you free, Galatians 5.1. Don't come under a yoke of slavery again. And here, what's the, the issue for the Hebrew believers if, as you look at and think about verse 28? The issue is whether or not the blood of Jesus Christ is sufficient to save or if some of my Hebrew friends are right and what I really need is the full uh, law of Moses dietary sacrificial system, you fill in the blanks. You all know what I'm saying right now? Think about the original audience. Think about the, the issue is, is the blood of Christ enough? Do you have some friends who say to you, you, you guys actually believe that when you trust in Christ, his blood, his death is applied to you, his resurrection, and, and you're saved and you're good? That's what you believe? Don't you have to do 25 more things consistently for the rest of your life? And, my, and our answer is no. Now, we want to do many things as a thank you to God. Amen? I do what I do in response to the great price that's been paid, not to earn my salvation. I cannot add one thing to the perfect sacrifice of Christ. Amen? But God still has expectations of me. This is not a cheap grace thing. But Moses was told, this is how the people are going to be saved. The covenant people are going to have to apply the blood of a lamb. Now, can you imagine maybe somebody saying, oh, come on, really? I mean, we've been good through the first nine plagues, even when it was dark over there in Goshen. It was light. I don't think I need to apply the blood. No, you need to apply the blood because the only way the Lord is not going to judge that house is if the blood is applied to the door. Now, what's interesting is in the ancient world, the ancients would actually make covenants at the threshold of a home when a groom carries his bride across the threshold. That's kind of a, a drawback or a, a connection back to the ancient idea of making covenants at the threshold of a home. And when the blood was put on the door, God was saying, this is the way that you will honor a promise I have made, a covenant I have made. And when I see the blood, that's when I will know you are in covenant with me. 
when you have obeyed, when you have applied the blood to your life. It's not enough to be part of a Hebrew household. It's not enough to have the right address in Goshen. You must apply the blood. And for the readers of the original letter, this is what they've been told. It's the blood of Christ that saves you. He is our Passover lamb. There is no other way. There is no religious system that can save you. It is Christ that saves and Christ alone. And the writer of Hebrews is saying basically to these people, don't you realize that all the people that you celebrate as heroes had to deal with similar things. They had to wrestle through these things and stand upon promises. Number one, Moses had the eyes of faith, verse 27. Number two, verse 28, Moses stood on the promise of faith. He did what he was told. He told the people, apply the blood. Now, if you're a believer and you have any capacity to share with other people, that's what you have to say. This is, this is the gospel. This is the good news. You have to have the work of Christ applied to your life. This is how you get saved. This is how you don't experience the wrath of God. That's pretty good news, isn't it? This is how you are saved from the wrath of God. You are in the uh, covenant with the lamb, the ultimate lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. And so, as we are still here in verse 28, by faith he kept the Passover. And scholars would say the language could be he instituted the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn would not touch them. Once you are in Christ, you are going to be spared the wrath of God. And this is such a beautiful promise. Just simply applying what God has done to your life is the good news of the gospel. Look at verse 29. By faith, they passed through the Red Sea. This is also in Exodus 14. We'll, we'll turn there in a moment. As though they were passing through dry land and the Egyptians, when they attempted it, they were drowned. The NIV has it this way. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. And you have to wonder why they tried it, but we'll talk about that in a second. Here's the third thing. This is walking by faith. So you could say, the eyes of faith, verse 27, standing on the promise of faith, verse 28, and walking out the promise of faith, that's verse 29. So uh, seeing, standing, walking. Seeing, standing, and walking. Now you want to talk about a walk of faith. When the Red Sea is opened up and the sea walls are there, and you all know the cool things that Cecil B. DeMille did in his movie, Back to Exodus 14, and then, you know, whoever worked on the, whatever Disney's version of it was, they did some even cooler things with it, right? It looked like the people were walking through this big aquarium with a whale being lit up and all this cool stuff, and everybody's, yeah, yeah. But I'll tell you what. Walking through the Red Sea, as long as it probably took, was a walk of faith. Amen? You just hope that God doesn't get distracted. <laughs> oh, that's right. I was holding up the seawalls for the children of Israel. You hope that, you know, God's not like one of your buddies who has ADHD and forgets what they're doing half the time or 
senior moments or whatever. That's not God, of course we know. That's just a poor attempt at humor. And so Exodus 14, 15, we, we've already seen that they're going to walk through the, the uh, Red Sea. Let's read the account because it's, it's powerful. Let's pick it up at verse 18 of Exodus 14. The Egyptians will know that I am the Lord, the Lord when I am honored through Pharaoh, through his chariots and his horsemen. The angel of God, 14, 19 of Exodus, who had been going before the camp of Israel, many believe that's Jesus before he was born in Bethlehem, moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from before them and stood behind them. And so it came about the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel, there was a cloud along with the darkness, yet it gave light at night. Thus the one did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land so the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Then the Egyptians took up the pursuit, of course, only when God allowed it. And all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. At the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud and brought the army of Egyptians into confusion. He caused their chariot wheels to swerve and he made them drive with difficulty. So the Egyptians said, let us flee from Israel for the Lord is fighting for them against the Egyptians. And you should just write in your margin, no, duh. I mean, how many plagues does it take until you guys get the message that the God of Israel is fighting for them. Why did you pursue them in the first place? And why would you ever drive your chariot into the sea? Do you not see that this could be a setup? But they were stubborn and hard-hearted. And people who are stubborn and hard-hearted do dumb things, right? And so off they go into the sea and they're chasing after them. But there's some realization. And the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand over the sea so that the waters may come back over the Egyptians, over the chariots, over their chariots and their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea and the sea returned to its normal state at daybreak while the Egyptians were fleeing right into it. And then the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen. Even Pharaoh's entire army that had gone into the sea after them, not even one of them remained. But the sons of Israel walked on dry land through the midst of the sea, and the waters were like a wall to them, kind of a summary now, on their right hand and on their left. And thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, which often happens when someone dies in the ocean. They wash up eventually. And when Israel saw the great power which the, which, with which, which the Lord had used against the Egyptians, the people feared the Lord and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. Moses had to look with the eyes of faith and stand on the promise. He had to operate in terms of instructing the people to apply the blood. And then finally, he had to walk by faith. And Moses was one of the people walking through there. And sometimes the walk of faith, we don't know what the other side looks like. And we're wondering, you know, is the enemy going to catch us? What's going to happen? And 
And the Lord took care of it, right? He closed the sea on the Egyptians and they were done for. And the message to the Hebrew Christians and the message to us tonight is simply this. You're gonna get to the other side. You're gonna make it through this trial if you simply walk by faith and keep your eyes on God, amen? <laughs> it's when we get overwhelmed by all the other things that you know grab our attention that we kind of lose our way. The Lord will fight for you. And these Hebrew Christians were dealing with a lot. And by comparison, though, was it anything like their forefathers? Was it anything like Moses had to deal with it? And so here you are. And you're not only fighting for yourself and maybe your immediate situation, but you're fighting for others who will maybe yet to be born, who will hear of your faith or have that imprint of your faith for the next generation. Just a, a final, uh, some final comments here. The Exodus, the Passover, and the Red Sea miracle are all powerful gospel pictures. In fact, the book of Exodus is a book about salvation. The exit from Egypt was leaving a life of bondage and slavery. Don't go back. Whether going back to bondage and slavery is back to your sin and the temporary pleasures of sin or to a religious legalism that will never save. Don't go back there. The, the people of Israel were tempted to go back to Egypt. Let's, we're, we're, we're putting out bus passes to go back to Egypt. Let's go now, right? They immediately want to do that. And, and maybe you've had some seasons where that sounds pretty good to you. We have a, a guy that um, had gone to uh, a brother that we know, a couple brothers that we know that had gone on a trip to Egypt and Israel. And they were telling a story that their group was on a bus and the air conditioning went out in the bus and it got really hot they were on one of these tours, you know, of Egypt and Israel and stuff. And the bus got really hot and bugs, you know, were in the bus. And people started complaining and whining. And somebody on the bus, I, I don't remember every detail of the story, but somebody on the bus said, does this sound familiar? <laughs> we're in Egypt. Things are not going great. And we're starting to complain. Oh, my goodness. Can the point be made any more clear to us? Don't repeat the mistakes of the past. If your first inclination is to begin whining, then you are following in the train of an obstinate, difficult, stubborn group of people. Don't do that. The gospel picture of leaving Egypt, don't go back to being under a yoke of slavery. Don't go back. You'll be tempted to go back. It sounds pretty good right now. Let's go back, but... It isn't. Second picture, the Passover, the blood of the lamb is a very obvious picture of the gospel pointing us all the way to the cross. And the Red Sea miracle is also a powerful gospel picture. It could picture baptism. It might picture the resurrection, but it definitely pictures a walk by faith that after the blood is applied, you still gotta walk it out. There's still going to be, uh, you know, enemies, if you will, and 
uh, steps of faith that you have to take, but it's all about crossing over to the other side. It's all about walking by faith. Pray with me. Father, thank you for the life of Moses and these gospel pictures. And thank you that Moses operated as seeing him who is unseen. He, he had the eyes of faith. And tonight I would pray that you would renew my eyes of faith. So often my eyes are on the wrong thing, on the wrong person. Sometimes they're just on me and that is very disappointing. I think most of the time when I'm just fixated on myself and my flaws but when my eyes look to the one who is unseen, the one who manifested himself in the person of Jesus Christ and became visible, it changes everything. Teach us how to worship in such a way that every time we worship, our eyes turn to the one who loves us and saved, saved us. Help us do that, Lord. And as we, we think about the, the picture of the Passover, help us stand upon the promise that we are children of God by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. In the good news of the gospel, it's paid in full. We're part of the kingdom of God. And we want to keep walking, Lord, like citizens of the kingdom. So help us through our Red Seas when we're tempted to be fearful and say maybe silly things in the moment. That we know you always open up a way to cross over, Lord, to the other side. And sometimes when we see another miracle that you've done in our lives, all we can do is begin to sing. And that's really what the people of Israel did on the other side of the sea. They sang the song of Moses and they began to celebrate you. The Lord is a warrior. The Lord is his name. The Lord is highly exalted. The horse and rider, he is cast into the sea. And forgive me, Lord, and forgive us for the times that we so lacked faith. And it's not until we've seen you do something radical and powerful that we will sing. Help us to sing when we're walking. Help us to sing when the sea hasn't been parted yet. Teach us to walk by faith and not by sight. All these faith stories, Lord, are very practical to our own lives. And there are times when we're very spoiled and we want everything instantaneously and you're teaching us how to be patient, to wait on the Lord, to do things the right way, and to get to the other side and celebrate the goodness of our God. So, Lord, as we sing this last song, I pray that you'd refresh faith in the room and bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen.